Our reading this morning is from Proverbs um, chapter 23, verses 19 through 28. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let, who, let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitor among mankind. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you would have a seat. Let me pray over the word this morning. God and Father, you have spoken. Let us be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, let us be rejoicers in the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us be free, free indeed, uh, for our justification is had there at the cross. Uh, Lord, let us uh, know of our resurrection uh, in the power of Jesus. And we pray your hand of blessing on this word. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day. I know that uh, not all are fathers, but this is, uh, is a momentous day. I do have a gene inside of me that is not much a camper on like widespread days of festivity and celebration, but I'll have Father's Day. Father's Day is good, not just for me, but for our society. But I kind of want to get right to the point this morning. We are going to be talking about fathers this morning. We're doing that uh, still expositorily through the word, but uh, thematically in terms of going through the Proverbs. I've entitled today's uh, sermon, uh, one maybe rather provocatively, Long Live the Patriarchy. Long Live the Patriarchy. And with common parlance now, I imagine that that conjures some amount of emotion. And I want to tell you right from the get-go, uh, if that excites you in some kind of uh, all-encompassing way, don't get too excited. If it's something that makes you uh, feel a little more cross, don't get too cross, because I imagine that we'll be heading in a slightly different direction that will leave both dissatisfied. There's a reason why, though, these things might excite or make you uh, somewhat angry, and that's because there are a myriad of competing truths that are confronting us uh, almost daily, having to do with men and masculinity and fathers. Uh, the first truth that kind of confronts us that we have to take on board is that men indeed have misused and abused positions of power and even their physical strength in wicked ways. And for us to pretend like that hasn't been true, isn't true, isn't true going back for millennia is, uh, is first of all false, but it's also wicked for us to deny that truth. So if you come across somebody who denies that that is a part of sin in this world, uh, they ought to be ridiculed in some way. But I said that these things were competing. Uh, there are other things in the kind of lexicon right now that have to do with a radical feminist attitude towards men. Second, radical feminism, rather than exalting both male and female, has crippled both by trying to tear both down in my opinion. 
I think that that's a truth that we can take on board and use to kind of compete with that first truth that I mentioned. Third is that men have responded very foolishly to all of this by embracing either one of two things, either uh, embracing kind of a fight club, Andrew Tate toxicity, or on the other hand, an uh, incel, this is a, kind of a new word that we're using kind of to uh, talk about involuntarily celibate men, incel kind of passivity. Both of them have a certain level of awareness in our culture, and both are foolish, both are wretched. But then also, there's this other competing truth that comes on the back end of that that's trying furthermore to tear the ideas of both femininity and masculinity down. And we've, we've decided to do as a culture is disregard millennia of certainty regarding gender. Just uh, eons and eons of human beings have not been confused about what is masculine or what is feminine. In fact, if any of us want to take some amount of solace, I think that this is not a confusion that exists in South America predominantly or in Africa or in the Middle East or Near East or in all of Asia. So if you're feeling rather lonely, you can know in some way that disregarding millennia of certainty or even geographic center is certainty about gender, we have all decided discovered together that men are sometimes the best women's athletes. It's kind of a confusion that we have as a culture because there really are legitimately these truths that stand on either side kind of yelling at one another. And we've got to sort our way through all of these things. Now, you would be, and uh, I would forgive you for saying, hey, Chris, this is no way to start a Father's Day sermon. Are you really going to start in this place, talking about masculinity in these kinds of terms? And what I want to respond back, or maybe even humbly submit to you, is, is that I think it really matters. I think that our ability to sort through some of these things really does matter. I think that the uh, American church, in many ways, has a critical question out in front of it that will deal with its very existence as its nature. And the question is this, did God really say that he made them male and female? Did he really say that he made them in his image, male and female? He made them, giving them his glory, giving them an impression of his likeness. Did he really want for us to know something about who he is by the way that he made male and female? We can look forward to even Jesus Christ in the Gospels where he seems to think that these distinctions really matter. In fact, he even thinks, I think rather mysteriously, that even the order of things matters. That man was made first in the image of God and then woman out of man. You get this glory and then you get this glory of glories. Jesus really thinks that these things matter. And so I think today this is the perfect kind of place to go for a Father's Day sermon. What we read out of uh, Proverbs chapter 23, I think essentially tells us this, that righteous and wise fathers raise righteous and wise children. A righteous and wise father raises righteous and wise children. And we're going to get there by kind of taking a road this morning together. We're going to first uh, exegete the text, 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm mentioning this because I want you to come along with me in this Bible study. Exegesis is essentially this word that says that what we really want to do is understand and kind of pull out uh, the very basics of understanding the text as it is. Then what we're going to do is move from exegesis into ex, uh, exposition, which is to pull out of that an understanding of a deeper truth. And then finally, we're going to make application. So that's kind of the road that we want to take this morning. But we have some context that we need to get right from the get-go, and we get that really from Proverbs 1, verse 1. If you wanted to turn over there, you would see this, that this is uh, Proverbs of Solomon, King Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So what this is essentially is a collection of fatherly wisdom given as an inheritance to his son. So what we received this morning out of Proverbs, all of the Proverbs, but this specific proverb is that Proverbs is conveying a rich inheritance of wisdom upon a spiritual child. That's you this morning. So I want to invite you this morning to receive this inheritance of wisdom. Let's get started in chapter 23. First, we want to exegete. I want to understand the text by making three relatively quick, relatively simple points, and you're going to find them on your handout this morning. The first is this, that fathers are life givers. If you want to fill that in, that's fathers are life givers. Where am I seeing that? Verse 22 says this, listen to your father who gave you life. This is pretty simple, right? That's a pretty simple statement. Listen to your father who gave you life. So when I say fathers are life givers, that's where I'm giving it, getting it. Fathers give life. And ob- this is kind of obvious and superficial, it's, uh, it's essentially something that you didn't need to come here to really understand, that you uh, are given life by a father. Fathers give life in a literal sense. Without fathers, life is impossible in a literal way. But upon closer inspection, we might find something a little deeper, not so superficial. Verse 19 says this, Hear, my son, be wise, and direct your heart in the way. So hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. That essentially assumes that there is a way that this father is beckoning his son to listen, beckoning his uh, son to heed his call towards wisdom, and that it has something to do with his heart being directed in the way. And then we're kind of confusingly surrounding this in verse 20 uh, with these other passages that talk about drunkards and gluttons, prostitutes. Let's read those real quick and make a point. Be not among drunkards, gluttonous, uh, they, for they will come to poverty, and the slumber, their slumber will clothe them in rags. Verse 27 says, A prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. And we have to ask the question, why are those passages surrounding all of these other ones where the father is just simply giving uh, good advice? Why these things? Why is it that he would mention this stuff? Why is this here? It's because this wise father knows the heart of a man is lured by unrighteous pleasure into death. 
There is something specific about the uh, masculine heart that is, uh, that is encouraged by and longs for and, and will even seek after ungodly pleasures in this life. And what this father knows is, is that those things come by way of pleasure in eating and drinking to drunkenness and to gluttonousness. And then also that they will seek pleasure out in terms of uh, pursuing prostitution and, and, and sex. They will uh, pursue pleasure into these ways and they will find there at the end of this narrow well, death. So I want to say it again. This is a life-giving father. Not just in the sense that he literally just gave the uh, biological material to create a son, but this is a life-giving father who is saying, be wise, direct your heart in the way, don't die, live in the way. This is a life-giving father. That's the first point this morning. The second one is this, that we give them, we give our fathers our ears, our eyes, and our hearts Children give their father their attention through their ears and eyes and hearts. Where do I see this? Verse 26 says this, My son, give your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Verse 19 says, hear. Verse 22 says, listen. So what, what are each of these about? Well, the first one's pretty clear. It just says that we use our ears to hear our Father's instruction. The second one is that we use our eyes to watch their ways. But then there's this other one, their hearts. The, 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 uh, the king here, King Solomon, is asking and inviting his son to actually give him his heart. Now, we all kind of intuitively know and understand what it would be to, uh, to observe the ways of a father or to listen to a father, but how do we, why would we give our hearts to our father? This righteous and wise father is asking for his son's heart. And this is more than respect. It's more than trust. This father knows that his heart, a child's heart, his soul, needs formation. It needs formation. Now, this stands somewhat opposed to the current culture that we live in. We often treat children as if they've come out innocent, perfected, and that the world kind of messes them up. We tend to listen to kids and think of them not just as innocent, but as pretty wise. We'll even take judgment from kids. There are some public and notable examples of where children have raised up and actually given voice and society has laid down in some sense to even just listen to children. And there's a reason why we do. Because there is an element of truth. There is a sense in which Jesus, number one, loves kids and uses children to show us what faithfulness looks like as an object lesson. What dependency looks like as an object lesson. He even uh, speaks out of the mouth of babes to declare his glory. And so there is an element of truth there, but when we as a society think that children have come out perfected and that all of their desires must be fostered and you know, flourish in their own way, we tend to neglect the fact that there is deformation in the human heart, even at conception. Sin has deformed us, and it is actually the parent's duty 
not to be laissez-faire, not to let the child, you know, kind of discover the world on their own and pursue any of their own desires, but to see those malformed, deformed, misformed places in their heart receive formation. Proverbs 22, verse 6, we didn't read this morning, but if you did go there, it would say, train up a child. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In fact, if we turn over to, uh, and I invite you to do this with me because it's a wonderful passage that you will have heard before, but if we turn over to the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll see in verse 4 this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your what? On your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This is a high calling. This means that we don't just get to uh, let our kids uh, out into some libertarian environment where they get to do whatever they want. They need the discipline and instruction from their fathers. They actually need formation in themselves. They are not perfected. They are deformed. They need to be reformed into God's very image. We actually have to disciple our children. And this father knows it. He wants to raise them up. This life-giving father is a disciple maker who knows that we owe our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to a good and righteous father. So that's number two. Number three is this. Righteous and wise children make their fathers glad. Righteous and wise children make their fathers glad. And at first, this too seems somewhat superficial. Parents, what makes for infinite gladness in your heart? Verses 24 and 25 tell us. Father, fathers of righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Verse 25 says, let your heart and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. So when we ask the question of parents, what makes your heart infinitely glad? What gives you infinite gladness? What gives you eternal gladness? The answer is righteous and wise children. And it would be easy for us to take this proverb shallowly and miss a richer depth, a greater gladness. Yes, Parents of moral and prudent children are profoundly proud and sincerely satisfied. They are greatly glad, right? If you birth a child and you see them grow up and they are prudent, they are wise, and you see them uh, act in a moral way, any parent is going to take great delight in that. But we don't need the, uh, the King Solomon to tell us that. So is there something deeper that maybe he is after here? Yes. Parents of moral and prudent children are profoundly proud, but this is where we leave our exegesis, trying to gain that understanding and move on to exposition, trying to pull out the gospel from this text. This says that 
the words righteous and wise are not merely moral, not merely prudent. We're not just looking for morality and prudence. What we're doing is what we want our children to turn into. It's not what they do, it's who they are. Verse 23 says this. It says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And even there, it kind of sounds like a list of do's. This is uh, the fatherly uh, kind of um, uh, imperative. There's a fatherly imperative here. The father is directing his child, go out and buy truth. Don't sell it by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And what we tend to hear is do, do, do. This is a father telling his son what to do. What I hear, though, is whispers of Matthew 13, verse 45, that says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold how much? All that he had and bought it. So when I hear Solomon saying, buy truth and don't sell it, buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. What I hear is that the righteous truth, the wisdom of the ages, is on sale for us in the salvation that Jesus offers us. The father of the righteous child who has bought the truth of Jesus will greatly rejoice. The father of the simple son who is made wise in Jesus will be glad in him. And I pray, my prayer for all of us this morning is that moms and dads would be glad. That the moms and dads of City Church would see their sons and daughters uh, by Jesus, by that kind of wisdom, by that kind of righteousness. When he tells us here to go and buy these kinds of things, they are not for sale in a literal way. There's no shop that you can walk into and say, I'd like my righteousness, please. Is it on sale? There's no small place that we could go into in some back alley where we can get wisdom, pay somebody for it. The, the, the author's original intent here was, of course, to say, go and get those things. Go be searchers out of those things. But it's all in the context of a father who is wanting to see and then rejoice and be glad in children who are righteous. Don't you want to have righteous children? Is there anything that you would like more for your child than righteousness? Is there anything that you would want and desire more for your children than godly wisdom to buy Christ? For me, there is nothing more than this. In the Taylor household, we uh, love to educate our children. We have high uh, desires for them. We have hopes and dreams for them, but none as high as their salvation. None as, uh, as much as we desire for eternal hopes in Jesus. I don't, I don't care at some level about the vocation of my sons or daughters nearly as much as I care about their eternal destination, their pleasure with Jesus, their son and daughtership, not of me, but of a great high king and patriarch in God the Father. And I want greatly to rejoice. I want to be glad eternally. 
And that's my prayer for you too. So this, in some sense, stands opposed to the culture that says, hey, go and earn it. We want to have uh, sons and daughters that go to um, big universities and go and get some high-minded job and earn lots of money and make us look good. As a culture, we tend to uh, devalue children in lots of other ways, uh, minimizing them uh, in utero, out of utero, all the same to us. We have a, 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 uh, a culture that at once uh, looks at children and says, you're a finished work, don't get too messed up, and then in another sentence uh, puts them aside. That is not the kingdom way. And we hear constantly that the patriarchy is bad. And what I want to tell you this morning is that the picture that's being painted here is not a uh, bad patriarchy. It's a preferable patriarchy. This is life-giving fathers disciplining their children's hearts towards righteous, the righteous wisdom of Jesus. That's what I see here in this passage. A, a world where uh, righteous and wise fathers raise righteous and wise children because that is precisely God's design. When we hear words uh, like patriarchy in our society, when we hear words like nepotism, where somebody's just given something because they were a son or daughter of, of somebody else, or when we uh, hear words like inheritance, oftentimes we associate those things with very negative things. And what I want to do is not tell you that any of the things that are meant by any of that are good, but tell you that through a gospel lens, we can take a look at patriarchy and marvel. We can take a look at nepotism and go, man, I am so glad that I was given something that I do not, uh, did not desire, did not earn by a great and good father. That I look at a thing like inheritance and say, give me all of the inheritance, righteous father. So I want to reclaim, in some sense, these words. I want for us to uh, live in that kind of kingdom, create that kind of heaven on earth here at City Church where we have righteous and wise fathers raising righteous and wise sons and daughters. That's what I want here. But of course, there's no way for us to skirt around the outside of some pretty major problems here. And we have to admit that there are some. The first is, is that there are a lot of unrighteous fathers out there. Your father may have been extremely unrighteous, not just in the sense that uh, he didn't follow Jesus, but in the sense that he filled your home with unrighteousness. And I do want to acknowledge this morning that that is a problem. It's not okay. Many of us had unwise fathers, uh, fathers that maybe meant well, but made constantly poor decisions that affected you. And there's some amount of bitterness or anger or resentment that kind of wells up in you even at the mention of fathers. There are many of our fathers that when we hear the commandment, honor your father and mother, we go, what am I to do when my father is dishonorable? This is a problem. It's a problem. What about passive fathers or failing fathers. The list could be infinite here, but we know and understand that because of sin, fatherhood is marred, it's distorted, it's broken in our view. And so the biggest problem that we need to face in all of this is that sin has tainted fatherhood. It's kept us from understanding what a real, true, righteous father is like. 
So how do we begin to address this? Well, we begin by simply stating the problem up front. One of my mentors years ago made this statement, and it's really honestly taken me years and years to really, truly, deeply understand it, and that's that, uh, that fatherlessness is the world's biggest problem. Fatherlessness is the world's biggest problem. And of course, uh, on, um, uh, when we take a look at that, we can go, yes, there are orphans in this world. We ought to foster. We ought to adopt. Christians have an adoptive father that brings them into a, uh, a magnificent home and kingdom and universe and gives them a name and an inheritance. We ought to be like that. And that is good. We have people here at City Church that are heeding that call, that are wanting to be that kind of father. But what I want for us to talk about and focus more specifically on is spiritual fatherlessness. We live in a world that essentially is a, uh, a spiritual orphanage for sinners. People that have had a broken relationship that were supposed to be sons and daughters, but because of sin are taken out of that. But because of Jesus Christ can be restored into the family. I want for us to know and understand that fatherlessness is the issue, but that God the Father sent his only son to die on a cross for our sins to bring us back into his family. And in that, what I want to do is reinterpret these verses to go back through with this gospel lens in verse 22 and see and hear when it says, listen to your father who gave you life, that we might understand that there is a spiritual father, a father in heaven who is a life giver. What I hear here, when I hear listen to your father who gave you life, is a proverbial whisper of a perfect patriarch. You, what I want you to uh, hear God the Father say in verse 26 is, My child, my child, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. What I want for you to know and understand is, is that there is a Father who deeply cares for you, who wants to take those misshapen places in your heart and reform them in the image of Jesus Christ. I want for sons and daughters to be encouraged when we go to verse 24 and we see that the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. I want for you to hear that your father is proud of you. That when your father looks at you, your heavenly father, regardless of how your father treated you or men in this room, regardless of your failings as a father, that when God looks at you, in the righteousness that is yours in Jesus Christ, in the wisdom that you have been given, that he is proud of you. He rejoices. He is glad. I hope that that is an encouragement this morning. And that's why I say, long live the perfect patriarchy. Let's take a moment to reflect on this and make a few applications for men and fathers today. Not to the exclusion of women, but just like last week, uh, we all get to gather around this thing, this institution of masculinity, this institution of family and fatherhood and learn together. So I want to encourage you that maybe if you think that this has no application for you, that it does. Men, fathers, be a life giver tell the truth about a life-giving father. Your very life 
is a model for those around you, in particular your children or your spiritual children, those people that you're discipling. You need to be modeling not heresies about God the Father, but realities about who God the Father is. And he is not a death bringer. He is not a destroyer. He is not a dismemberer. He is a life giver. Men, be life givers. Second, give spiritual fathers your heart. Luke 6, verse 40 says this, that a disciple will not be above his teacher, that when he is fully trained, indeed, he will be like his teacher. That's a pretty simple principle there, that uh, if you go and you're uh, going to take uh, jujitsu lessons, you're going to go in and take jujitsu, that if you have a really poor jujitsu teacher, there's no way for you to exceed them. There's no way for you to rise above your teacher. If you're a disciple, you will be like your master. And what Jesus tells us is that it's no different for us. So for us, we need to look towards spiritual fathers. We need to gain trust for them and give them our hearts. There's not one of us, not from the youngest child to the oldest adult, that doesn't have places in their heart that need to be reformed. There's no way for you individually to do all of that work. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes God's word, but it also takes spiritual fathers who are fostering Christ-likeness in you. For many of us, we've given our hearts away and it's been taken advantage of this morning. I want to encourage you, find a spiritual father and give them your heart. For our students that are in here, just take a moment. I know that you might be writing something. Give your dad your heart. Not because he necessarily always deserves it, but because God has called you to it. Third, aspire to be a righteous and wise child. Aspire to be a righteous and wise child. Now, for a lot of us, we live under a tyranny of uh, parental approval seeking. We kind of still, even in our adulthood, even if our lives aren't easily observed by our parents, either because of distance or because of dimension, uh, there's still something inside of us that wants to make our parents proud. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. That is not altogether bad or evil, but it's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is aspire to be a righteous and wise child, God's gladness giver. Don't give up. Don't get complacent. Seek out righteousness. Buy wisdom, and in so doing, allow for your heavenly Father to rejoice and be glad in you. Lastly, we we didn't get to it. In fact, this was one of the many things that kind of ended up on the uh, editing room floor uh, this morning. Uh, There was lots of stuff that uh, I feel like this passage had to say and that I felt like I wanted to say to to our fathers, but we didn't get quite to where uh, Jeff left off last week, and that was in Proverbs chapter 31. In fact, you can turn over there very briefly, and I'm going to read this to you. It changes here, likely, from uh, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, to uh, uh, words of King Lemuel, uh, and then also just it tells us that it's an oracle that his mother taught him, and he says this, and I'm just going to make two very brief points in the next minute and a half that we have. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women. 
your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, that it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Instead, open your mouth for the mute for the rights of those who are destitute, for all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. There was a lot that I wanted to say about the Proverbs 31 man. We hear a lot about the Proverbs 31 woman. This is all about the Proverbs 31 man, a king, a ruler, and how he ought to act. I want to counteract this morning some of the uh, uh, antagonism of a perfect patriarchy or even a preferable patriarchy with this. Proverbs 31 says this, Do not give your strength to women. It's not for kings to take strong drink. What is that all about? That that could be manipulated and twisted in some weird ways. Well, what we see here is actually just a reference back to um, the way that men pursue pleasures. The drunkenness and pursuing women that, um, that, that, will, uh, that will actually take their strength. Do not give your strength to women. Do, it's not for kings to take strong drink. What he's speaking against is licentiousness and sin, the pursuit of pleasure in unholy and wicked ways. That's what Proverbs 31 kind of men do not do. In addition to that, it says this, in Proverbs 31, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the destitute. Defend the poor and needy. What he's talking about is, is that men ought to be just. So as we kind of go back through here, I want to encourage you, be a life giver. Give spiritual fathers your heart. Don't be afraid to do that. Aspire to be righteous and wise children. Men, eschew licentiousness and pursue justice. The problem with the patriarchy is not its existence any more than a revered matriarch in one of your families. The problem is the way that sin and Satan have perverted the patriarchy to tell a lie about the perfect father, the perfect patriarch. Men, be life givers. Stay away from uh, uh, lust and drunkenness, pursue justice, stand up for the poor and needy. Let me pray that over you. God and Father, you are a good God, but all the more you have revealed yourself as a good father, you have created sons and daughters in us. Father, let us heed the words of Proverbs 23. Let us listen to you as our life giver. Let us give us uh, your uh, um, let us give you our eyes that we might see your ways and follow the way. God and Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, know that we can trust you with our hearts and that we can give you our hearts for formation. God and Father, I pray that you would um, call men into fatherhood. Lord, that you would create uh, families here that uh, pursue Jesus in righteousness and in wisdom. Father, I pray that City Church would be the kind of place where righteous and wise fathers raise righteous and wise sons and daughters. Lord, that we stay away from evil, and Lord, that we pursue the good and just. 
Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.